This episode's brought to you by everynowheremusic.com. Yep, you got that right. That's yours truly. So if this is an endeavor you'd like to support, please come and sign up for my newsletter at everynowheremusic.com. Every nowhere or every now here, depending on whichever way you prefer to look at it. All right, folks, welcome to what is possibly the last episode of Tapasya Loading in 2023. I say possibly because I am constantly working on newer episodes, so I don't know if I manage, if I will manage to put out another episode before the year ends. But this might be uh, the last one we do put out this year. So I am extremely happy to present to you another really long-form, in-depth conversation with one of the most interesting blogs I've run into in a while now. Those of you who've been following me longer, you probably know that my primary artistic base is in the West, primarily Europe, Germany, and I have a bunch of partners I work with in the US as well. And one of the things that I have noticed and I always have found slightly irksome is presumptions made about artistic and musical scenarios prevalent in India and Asia. So we go all in depth on Zachary's history as a music educator and an artist, a practicing artist in India, how his experiences were, the conclusions he drew from those experiences, and uh, what he has to say to the rest of the world with regards to the same. I think this is uh, the kind of message we all need to pay attention to for uh, multiple reasons, which I will leave for you to conclude on your own. Now that that's settled, here's me reminding you that this is a completely independent show and I intend to keep it that way to maintain the integrity and the standards I aim for. Don't sound haughty at all there, but you can do us an immense favor by supporting this show and if that's something you want to do please go subscribe to the podcast on a podcast platform of your choice apple podcasts and spotify are the platforms of the day from what i gather additionally please share us on your ig stories your social media stories or whatever social media you prefer that goes a long way in actually spreading the word and helping us reach our audiences in an authentic manner without any middlemen and gatekeepers truncating what it is we want to get across. Also, you should also know my academy, holisticmusicianacademy.com is going into its next beta phase in 2024, which means there are a whole bunch of courses which you can still subscribe to, sign up for, pre-enroll for, uh, at beta prices. Prices which are going to shoot up by a whole different degree in a few weeks. FYI, I know that sounds like a sales pitch. It probably qualifies as one by default anyways, but this is me just letting you know. I wouldn't want to be that guy who doesn't let his audiences know about changes happening in his artistic landscape. The Holistic Musician Academy is my baby right now. It is my life's work as a music educator and a practicing artist that I'm trying to put out there to help empower artists and musicians just like you maybe. Check out holisticmusician.com and feel free to hit me up if you have any queries. All right, without much further ado, Zachary Daniel Ray. Let's do this. Hello fellow beings, welcome to Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire.
And we are officially on tape. Welcome, Zach. Thank you. Is it all right if I call you Zach, by the way? Perfectly fine. Which part of the world do you happen to be in currently? I am currently in the Boston area in the U.S. Is that and your... I... Sorry, you it, go first. It, yeah, it's... it's um. Were you going to ask what, it's kind of where I'm from? Yeah, the where I'm from yeah. question. Yeah, it's kind of a wild question, but it's pretty much where I'm from. Tell me why you, uh, you refer to it as a wild question. Uh, I kind of, I've lived in multiple places, mm -hmm. so I feel like I call multiple places home, I guess. Oh, I can. But this is, this is where like family roots um, grew up, um, kind of this, this area. Beautiful. Do you mind if we start there a little, if I dig a little deeper into that part of your life? Yeah, for sure. Is that where your musical journey started, you'd say? Definitely. Um, so I grew up in a family, mother's a musician. Most of the musicians on in my family are from my mom's side. Amazing. A lot of piano players in the family, a lot of choir directors, Ooh, a lot of singers. Awesome. Yeah, so... Um, my family's all doctors, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, dinner table conversation was all about having patients crap and yeah. peek on you. So, I'm yeah. pretty sure yours were a lot more musical. Yeah, yeah. We, we had a lot of singing, a lot of, a lot of harmonies going on during the holidays. And, um, yeah, but I, uh, that's kind of where I started just, you know, in, in family, always was encouraged to take music lessons and grade school high school was a part of a lot of music lessons whether it's guitar piano voice uh, a lot of choirs mm -hmm. um, and then I studied music uh, in college in Boston studied at Berklee College of Music where voice was my primary instrument and then I also had some studies in music business so that's where I started in music mm -hmm. Funny because I studied music, but I actually grew as a musician outside of the U.S. Yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah, I think, I feel like when you study music, it's one thing, but when you have like, when you're actually doing it, mm -hmm. it's a whole other, whole other thing. Yeah. And so performing, songwriting, working in the studio, uh, teaching, I would teach a lot. That actually happened a lot in India. So I did a lot, a lot of growing as a musician um, outside of the US. Beautiful. Lots to unpack there, which I want to dig into. Before I go ahead, though, may I ask you what your earliest memory of music is? I was five years old um, and I had to sing for a Christmas play. Mm. And that's my earliest um, memory. I had a solo. And so Beautiful. that's kind of uh, five or six. I'm not quite sure. But I do remember being a part of like, it was like a little children's choir. Do you remember um, what the play was? Yeah, I don't. I don't remember what the play was, but the song was "A Little Town of Bethlehem," and so that was the very first solo that I remember actually um, singing. Sweet, you're a dad too, aren't you? I am. I have two two boys. Amazing! Um, How cool is that? Yeah, they're they have great voices, but they they don't like you to know it, and so they're mm. um, yeah, they kind of hide it. Interesting. Um, they also don't love when I'm singing in the car all the time. They just like to listen. Huh. Yeah. Was being a professional musician that was something always on the cards as far as you can remember with your parents being musicians as well? Or was that a calling? Um, I don't think it was always on the cards up until my university years. But I always knew, I, I feel like a professional musician, like you're doing multiple things sometimes. Yeah. So I always so knew I would be doing multiple things. Hmm. Even, 
you know, even when I was at Berkeley, my professors were always doing multiple things. They were professors, but they were also gigging. Mm -hmm. They were songwriting. So I always knew I'd be doing multiple things as a professional musician, whether it's teaching, performing. And I feel like different seasons that sometimes it's teaching more, sometimes it's performing more, sometimes it's songwriting. And so it's, um, yeah, so I feel like seasons, it kind of changes. So true. The multi-hyphenate, right? That keeps getting talked about, especially in the current industry. I don't think I know of any professional musician who's managed to figure out a profile where they literally just do one thing and one thing only. Right. I don't think it ever really was the case. Right. I think there might have been an era where it came across that way due to the media being so monocultural in the way they portray musicians. Mm -hmm. And we wouldn't have as much access to the behind the scenes of what was going on behind the music business, right? Right. Right. The whole exposure of behind the scenes part of the musician's life mm-hmm. makes the multi-hyphenate the new normal. I, whenever I had an opportunity to work with um, students who are studying music, mm-hmm. I kind of always told them, you have to be okay with doing multiple things. Mm-hmm. Some seasons you're just going to perform, which is amazing. Some seasons you're going to be teaching more. And so if you can be an artist, musician, that's like you're able to do multiple things. I think it it makes life as a professional musician a lot easier than if you're just trying to hang on to performance. So I feel like when I've worked with students, like last year, I I, um, taught at NMIMS, which is in um, in Mumbai. Mm -hmm. And it was a performing arts school. I taught a lyric writing class. Mm-hmm. In that class specifically, I was able to really kind of, uh, I had a group of 10 or 12 students, talk to them specifically about try to be okay with multiple things, whether it's teaching, performing, lyric writing, um, songwriting for people, and be good at, at a lot. Don't just try to be that performer that you want to be. And I think that, ha- I mean, that happens for people, which is great if you just want to perform. But I think nowadays, as a professional musician, it's always great to be okay with doing multiple different things within the music industry. Do you ever face resistance with that concept from your students? Occasionally, especially the ones that just want to be singers, Mm -hmm. that just want to be, for lack of better words, the face Mm -hmm. of like whatever that is, whether it's um, a band or um, in Bollywood or Mm -hmm. occasionally you get those younger ones that I'm just going to perform and it's like, all right. And that's great. I, I mean, when I was younger, I just wanted to perform. But I think you figure it out a little bit as you grow as a musician. Yeah. And not to say some, some people actually get those incredible breaks that they just perform. Mm-hmm. And if that's just what you want to do and you get that break, good on you. That's incredible. But I think there's so many talented musicians all yeah. over the world. Yeah. where you do have to be um, okay with doing multiple things. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Um, the hashtag I would use here is sustainability. Mm-hmm. Performance yeah. is a very, and not to sound negative about this, but a very harsh fact of life we tend to be confronted with towards the later phases of our career yep. is uh, how draining performing can be. Mm-hmm. And you realize how fragile it can be as a as a singular career. If that's the only thing you're dependent on, yep. you might find yourself in a situation where the pressure actually starts taking a toll on your performance. Yeah, as counterintuitive as it sounds. Yeah, and I I think you can find like you have those artists, those musicians, those professional musicians that just want to perform. I think you have to find the joy in like teaching, songwriting, or I mean, teaching can also be 
draining, but like when you're working with that are incredible and you can see mm-hmm. the talent and you want to see them grow and you want to see them go further, I think you, you're able to find like the, the satisfaction in that part. So true. Yeah. I would and contend so, yeah. it, it gives you the kind of fulfillment even like it, the same levels of fulfillment a good performance can give you as well on a good day. Correct. And I think, I mean, even now, like I'm, I have to think how old I am, 37 now. When I was younger, like doing an, a, a gig at 11 o'clock at night was nothing. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. Now I'm getting to the point where it's like, can I have like a, a gig at noon? <laughs> like all my <laughs> friends like I <laughs> above 35 come to like my, yeah. I, I have friends in, in, in Calcutta that I joke with where it's like, we're all the age 35. 34, 36, 37. We're all like, hey, can you do like a gig at like noon when you're in town? I'm like, yep, Love I'm going to do it. And it's going to be packed with everybody that's Love like, it. doesn't want to do the midnight midnight shows. And I mean, and saying every every once in a while, I'll do a show like that, like in, especially in Mumbai. It's mm-hmm. a city that just like, it literally does not sleep. Mm. Um, As opposed to Calcutta, who only sleeps. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, um, and so that last year I was able to, um, to perform with wonderful friends that are they're actually from Calcutta um, and they they all moved to to Bombay and so but our performances would be at 11 o'clock at night mm. I, every once in a while I'll you know be able to do something like that but it, for right now this season that I'm in it's not all the time I just wouldn't be able to keep up which is fine and I've found the happiness in songwriting in working in the studio in teaching I feel like the whole paradigm of a musician's lifestyle has uh, shifted quite a bit towards Mm -hmm. um, things like having a life you know which was uh, back in the day in the rock and roll years you know part of the whole deal was not having a life and just being a rock and roller entire life yeah it's interesting how that whole lens has shifted and musicians will be uh, proudly wearing their Mm -hmm. family lives on their sleeves or just um, their um, alternate adventures right yeah um, and just to clarify i I think that's awesome it has always come across as a profession that runs the risk of being lopsided, mm-hmm. obsessed with a certain kind of tunnel vision. Yep. So me, I'm I'm all for this brand of expansion. Yeah. Um, speaking of Calcutta, I often um, open this conversation, too late for that now, uh, trying to uh, take a walk down memory lane on where I met my guest. Yeah. I believe we have met in person, although it's been eons uh, since, hasn't it? it? It has, and I think you were playing a show at Princeton Club. Right, that, that must have been ages. Uh, I'm trying to think. The we have a friend Nishit who would always yeah smoke ink. Right. Yeah, the company that do that. So I I saw you there eight nine years ago. Um, gotcha. Perform. Mm-hmm. We'd always have friends that would perform there on Friday nights and um, on the weekends. And so that's I'm pretty positive that's where that's where we met. Gotcha. Well, shout out to Smoke Ink. Yeah. Um, there was a phase. Um, uh, during my quote-unquote career where I'd be performing quite a bit, I'd do regular tours in India, India mm-hmm. every year, like multi-metropolitan uh, tours. But I call it the golden era of the whole Indian independent music thing. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what your experiences were, but there was a span of five years where, I mean, it was one of the uh, most exciting places in the world to be in, you know, and there were so many yeah. venues open to so many sounds uh, and... Uh, mm-hmm. The party got over pretty quickly, but I really enjoyed uh, those years. So, uh, yeah, shout out to all the folks, including yeah. Smoking, who've been 
played quite a role in that era. Is that something mm-hmm. um, you got to be a part of a bit too? I did. I did. So, um, you know, I in Calcutta, I, I lived in Calcutta for you know, like 10 years. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, so, okay. That is way yeah. more interesting. How did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> how, how, how's somebody from Boston end up in Calcutta of all places? So, so my parents have re- had um, really good family friends. They worked in an import-export business, mm-hmm. um, worked a lot in West Bengal. And so when I finished studying music, I had an opportunity to do an internship. Right. And so I went, taught music, ended up working at the Calcutta School of Music. Huh. I had multiple friends that, that worked there. They're no longer there, but I ended up working in the Western music department mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. Did that for quite a while. Then probably five years ago started, it was more of like a community organization where it was called Chai Town Creatives. Yeah, I was reading up on that. Yeah, it was basically for a safe place for creatives, musicians, artists. Beautiful. Creatives from all different fields, basically to come and support each other. Mm-hmm. And so that was actually probably my favorite years living in Calcutta because I met just so many other musicians. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we would run these different events. You know, a musician would meet another musician, then they would form a band or a chef needed someone to take pictures of their food. They meet a photographer and then they would collaborate together. It was a really cool season there in Calcutta, just mm-hmm. seeing those relationships develop yeah. and having creatives support other creatives. Yeah. And I think that's important anywhere in the world. But in India, if you are choosing a creative career, I think you need more support from people around you. Sometimes you wouldn't have it from family, from friends. Yeah. Um, so finding those safe places that you could grow as an artist and share are really important. Yeah. A specific brand of support that's needed. I have my own experiences in regards to this, but I'd be super interested in your take on what exactly you are referring to. I know what you're referring to. I hear you, but for audiences, your lens and how your experiences were and why you felt motivated to kind of contribute to that space. I mean, it started off as an an internship, Mm -hmm. which turned into 10 years. And it basically was, you know, meeting people, working with people and professional musicians. You know, I always, when I look back on growing up in a family that supported me, to mm-hmm. pursue music. Not everybody has that. And I learned that pretty quickly. I'm living in India and it's not mm. it's not always an easy decision when you feel called to be a musician or you feel yeah. that pull. Calcutta had a lot of incredible talent. Um, I mean, India does, but like my years in Calcutta, I was able to work with a lot of people. Yeah. I think Calcutta is one of the cities in India that is a lot kinder to people who, who want to pursue music. Interesting. May I ask you why? I, I mean, I feel like it's such a creative city. I feel like in Calcutta, not everybody's trying to make it, mm. but it's like for the love of the art for the love of music, for the love of community. Practicing art. Yeah. You know, you grow up learning Rabindra Shangit and like all of that type of stuff. And like you're encouraged to do all of that. And, you know, it's not just musicians, but it's artists. And you do meet people who come from families that wouldn't be supportive of your art career. It's a bit of a paradox, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, even like you look at just how like the pujas, Durga Puja, how mm-hmm. creative like that. Yeah, it's mad festival is yeah. is just like insane i saw the puja for the first time in 25 years i forgot what like the whole city just vibrated absolutely differently i'd completely forgotten what it was like it was amazing yeah the the pandals that it's like beautiful absolutely beautiful so i feel like jesus yeah i feel like creativity um runs deep mm-hmm. in calcutta like 
in, in like the veins of people there. And so you do, you do have this paradox of, of, you know, they love the art, they love music. Um, people who grew up there, incredibly talented, but you also have that families of like, okay, you can do that, but that's not a career. Yeah. And so I feel like it's important to find those places that people can encourage you in if you, if you're feeling led or called to be a professional musician or artist or whatever type of creative field. I don't know if you know this, but I was born in Calcutta. Okay, nice. Even though I left as a seven-month baby and did go back later on. Okay. So it has been a fleeting experience and um, a complex one too, I won't lie, very complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it has, it's definitely played a pivotal role in my um, artistic journey as well. Yeah. It's very interesting how um, some of the musical capitals of the world, including... I don't know, London or Mumbai or um, New York, where, you know, people eventually move on to, to quote unquote, make it. Mm-hmm. How many of these folks are from Calcutta? Yeah. What a breeding ground it is for artists. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to the question, and I was wondering if this is something you'd be open to talk about. Why do you think the space to grow beyond a certain point doesn't exist in a city with so much artistic contribution? I, that's like, that's a big question. I think I put you on the spot there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think so. I've lived in two major cities in India: mm-hmm. um, Mumbai, which is like polar opposite of Calcutta, where it's very fast-paced. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, it's it's more efficient than Calcutta. Yeah, meaning you can get things done fairly quickly mm-hmm. for me as an outsider as a foreigner who lived in Calcutta it's a very you kind of go back and forth where you you love this part of it and you also hate this part of it uh, and I've never met anybody who's lived in Calcutta that hasn't that hasn't been from there that's been from a different country who a hundred percent love it and a hundred percent hate it there's always this back and forth mm. um back and forth and that's I mean uh, uh, different people's experiences are different but I 100% loved it, and there are also days that I just did not enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it, it, there's a lot of the culture in Kolkata that's very slow-paced, mm-hmm. very, you know, shops close in the afternoon, <laughs> um, you know, to get something done in the house, whether it's like my tap is dripping and I need this, the guy will come, then he'll leave, and he won't come back for a day or two because he needs certain parts. And so it's like, and I would always tell people like, don't get frustrated until you call like the fourth time. <laughs> then you can get frustrated. Quite the bar there. But then on the on the other side, it was such a friendly, welcoming city where it's like if you needed directions, mm-hmm. anybody would stop to give you directions. Even if it's like the wrong directions, like hold your hand and take you. And it's like, well, no, this is this is the wrong way. Hey, people will travel from other parts of town to come give you directions. 100%. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I and I do I do feel like the culture in Calcutta is changing a lot, especially with like mm. younger generation with wanting to highlight, you know, just the just the really amazing things that are happening in that city. Yes. Um and so like putting it on the map. Mm. Um I mean even like like the Durga Puja is like a it it got like it was like a heritage UNESCO yeah, it's something. Like you and endorsed. Yes. Now. Yeah. yeah. So I think mm-hmm. you'll start seeing a lot of that happen. Um, and mm. so I don't know. I feel I feel like the culture of a city, like um, it's 
when it is a slow pace like that, it will be slow to change. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's impossible. When I look back on my time living there, it was like sitting in people's living rooms, mm-hmm. eating on the floor with people, jamming to music, going to see local bands. Like that was like the, the heart of the city. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those cities that for me and for my experiences, musicians really did support other musicians. Like it was a community and it wasn't such a cutthroat industry in Calcutta, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. And then when I worked in, in Mumbai, I, again, loved living there, but it was such a different experience. Super fast paced. Yeah. How, how do you compare it to Boston or New York? Um, I called it a beast of a city. Like it, I feel like it, it, New York doesn't even compare mm-hmm. to Mumbai. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, I mean, they're on par, but I, I feel like some things Mumbai was just like, whoa, like, this, like it really does not sleep. No, it really doesn't. Everybody's working towards something, or there's so many different types of industries that are there, and so it's very competitive. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's a lot of opportunities for artists yeah. to make money, to survive as a musician, to survive as a creative. But it's also like I feel for like the younger artists moving there, it's a bit intense. Yeah, before you kind of you need to be ready for a city like that. Yeah, you really need to have your boundaries in place, have your yep. fundamentals built, hundred percent, know what you're looking for. Or it can really destroy you. Yeah, 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 definitely. But at the same time, I, I feel like if you do have your boundaries in place, if you do, and I, I also feel like you shouldn't move there without not knowing anybody. Where it's like I've met so many young yeah. artists, where it's like they're like, yeah, I don't know anybody. I'm like, why did you move here? <laughs> like, yeah, you want to what make it, but like visit before you make that, unless interesting. Unless you have a, you know, an incredible job opportunity. Mm. Calcutta was almost too easy to make friends. If someone called me on the phone and asked, like, where are you? Or are you home? I never knew, like, what to answer because I literally could be <laughs> at my door. In, in Mumbai, you actually schedule, like, two weeks out. Like, hey, let's meet for coffee, you know, two weeks from now. Great. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can't meet for coffee then or if you, re- if you cancel, like, you're going to reschedule two weeks later. Yeah, totally hear you, man. So it, yeah, so it, that was just my my experience. Um, Do you think the Western world still has an inkling as to what beast of a city Mumbai is? No, they don't, don't they? That is my experience no. too. Yeah, they have no idea what's about to hit them. Yeah, I feel like um, I feel like people who who are visiting India and they land in in Mumbai, like I have friends here that didn't even know there's like a skyline. In Mumbai, mm-hmm. they just think it's like they should visit major cities in India mm-hmm. and not just one city because every place is, is different. Every place has its beautiful things, have it, has its funny things. They should visit multiple places and not just one. Do you think the music industry in the Western Hemisphere of the world has any idea how humongous the music industry in Mumbai is? I think they're starting to realize that. And um, yeah. a lot of that has to do with like people like... Um, tapping into what's happening in India. I mean, there's that Punjabi singer Diljit who's like selling out like huge arenas here in, in the US. And yeah. there's also like artists, you know, I have a friend, Kavya, who's from Delhi and she just played Southwest by Southwest, the um, Austin Music Festival. Mm-hmm. Indie 
pop electronic artist. And um, I think people are starting to be more aware that it's been interesting to watch that like, yeah, the, the music scene in India, there's a humongous part that's Bollywood, but there's also this other part that artists yeah. are starting to, to rise up a little bit and um, mm. to be recognized more. I don't think all of the West is aware, but I think the people who are watching music industries, they're starting to um, tap into that a little bit. Yeah, I just uh, I spent the first half of this year, a year working for a very well-known um, artist development company in New York. Okay. Uh, it was quite surprising to see how clueless they are. Yeah. <laughs> very US-centric lens. And and just to be clear, I completely respect the fact that uh, the US was mm-hmm. uh, the irrefutable leader in the music industry for the largest part of uh, the music industry's mm-hmm. existence in the first place. Yeah. But that's about to change so quickly and it's already changed. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yep. and um, even if you Google it, uh, no, the, re- the data doesn't really show the correct uh, numbers right. with regards to how right. huge industries in India or even Indonesia, what's actually yeah. going on there. It's not really... Um, documented uh, in the mm-hmm. right order. It's already like way bigger than anyone has any idea. So yeah. it's always, me uh, with my specific profile, always working between these two worlds. It's been quite the interesting journey to um, yeah observe. Yeah, which brings me to my next question. So that's quantity and size yep. and sheer beast. This is a trickier area to address. Okay, what were the prime? Let's talk quality though. Yeah, <laughs> that's so, that's a trickier topic to talk about. It is. Isn't it? it is a trickier topic. Um, but having been a music educator in India, exactly, which is why I'm asking you. Yeah, that was a, a big thing that I I worked with a lot of singers. Mm-hmm. So I would teach. You know, there was times that I taught music theory and I taught ear training and um, sight reading. But I most of my music education experience in India was working with vocalists. Mm. Um. And most of them were Western English singers, people who were writing in English. They would have their their side gigs that they would do, but a lot of like their art, or it was a mix. It was like Hindi English, mm-hmm. Bangla English. Um, so, but it would be music that you could put on a radio station in the U.S. and someone would be like, "Oh, cool." Mm-hmm. I have a free gift for you, my friend. No strings attached. Legit free gift what if you could have your entire career as an independent musician presented to you on one page all of the aspects you needed to be aware of starting from creativity to collaboration stuff most musicians are a little less privy to like pr other aspects of music business down to self-care and a very lucid display of how all of these elements are interlinked what if you could have one page which gave you an overview on all of that, I can give you that page. And it's up for a completely free download. Please go check the episode notes. You'll find a link there. One page, an entire overview of an independent musician's career. And in case you're wondering why I'm doing this, I want to build an ecosystem of holistic, happy musicians. Musicians and artists who are building their careers in a fulfilling manner on their own terms. So if this is something that resonates with you, go download the Artist Roadmap. So I would say a majority, a majority of the students that I 
and I have to be careful. A majority of the students that I yeah, work no, with, I, 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 I'm so sorry, I'm so glad no one's asking me this question right now. But I had to pick I, your brain in this. Yeah, I, I, a majority of the artists, especially the ones, um, the younger ones, and this this might just be the ones that were just starting. Some of them needed a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Some of them just were naturally gifted. So I will say, like last year when I worked at NMIMS, I worked with multiple vocalists, but the three seniors that I worked with who were about to graduate, absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Their the control of their voice, what they could do, it was just an just incredible. And it would be the same in Calcutta when I'd work with more experienced musicians. I did get to a point where there's a few of them that I would I would finally come to a point where it's like. I do not think this is the right right career, not right career path, but mm. you know this might be something that you love, um, and if you want to do be a professional musician, you might look at other ways that you can be involved with the music industry besides um, singing, um, if that, for lack of better yeah. words. Um, and I and I I'm one of those teachers that I think anybody can sing the longer that you work with them. Some of those, when I say anybody can sing, some of those will are not meant to be professional singers it's just you know yeah. something that they enjoy or they'd fit better in a choir or a choral thing so i think i've experienced both where i've i've heard bands i've worked with bands who are absolutely incredible and then other people that i may stay for a song or two and it's like not enjoyable mm-hmm. but i will say i feel like that is also changing with the quality of music education um yes in india yes that is changing. I mean, it, last year, it's it's part of part of the work that I did. I worked with the Global Music Institute, which they are based in Delhi and Noida. The quality of education that they are bringing to India is like it's on par with Berkeley. I mean, they're they're or on par with whatever major university that you want to think of that's teaching music in Europe or UK or Australia. Brilliant. You're starting to see more emphasis on that, and it's not just naturally gifted talent, but now they're pairing it with um, education. And I think nurturing. Yeah, and I and I think like that's the the thing that happens when you see like the great musicians. Like, yeah, you have great musicians that are naturally talent, but they also studied a lot. Mm-hmm. And so now I feel like in India, you're having these institutes pop up that are just bringing quality education of like the highest standard that where you're pairing it with natural talent and then with the education and it just elevates the musician or the artist. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the quality of musicians, um, it's changing pretty rapidly. Like the more that people are going out and studying more and um, getting opportunities to, to gig and kind of have those real life experiences as, as a musician. Yeah. Hard really. Totally second that. Shout out to Jima, by the way. I've been observing what they've been doing for a while too. It's um, so heartwarming to see. Yeah. Yeah. I have a specific question for you, uh, Zachary, yeah. especially yeah. since you're a singer. Um, just to uh, give you a little bit of context, and this is like a very uh, micro kind of a question. I, my master's thesis is something I wrote uh, on the topic of uh, if homegrown South Asian musicians have an inherently different oral perception of music. Mm. It's pretty complex. Yeah. Uh, especially as a vocalist. Like, I'll tell you this. I'm the kind of singer mm-hmm. who sings always at his piano. Like it's it's a rare yep. occasion when, I, when I'm singing without an instrument. 
Mm-hmm. Now, you know how a piano is tuned, right? Every sting is slightly detuned in order for the entire instrument to actually sound in tune. Yep. Right. And I've noticed one of the things uh, I notice when I work with my Indian students, especially singers, is mm-hmm. their idea of intonation is very different. Yeah. Have you noticed this? Y- yep. Intonation's never perfect anyway as a human. Mm-hmm. It's always a subjective thing. Everyone has yeah. a unique signature. And I notice how sometimes they're so in tune that if it's a musical context outside that of a South Asian one, it really struggles to gel. Is yes. this an experience? Have you noticed this? This this is the kind of question I can like ask only a singer with a background <laughs> like yours. Yeah, so I, I've worked with a lot of singers who grew up studying Hindustani classical music. Yeah. Um, and have practiced for like, you know, hours and hours. And then their, but their love now is they were wanting to sing pop or R&B. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I actually had to, so what I would do is I would sit at the piano with mm-hmm. them most of the class. Um, and we would be like piece by piece, just playing that, playing that song and allowing those opportunities to, to flow a little bit better than rather just being like, this is how I've practiced. This is how I like, I feel like a lot of Hindustani classical music. It's um, I feel like it's not just a rehearsal or a practice. Like it, it ha- you, it's part of you. Like you, yeah. it's like this whole so experience, true. like it's this mm-hmm. whole, um, you know, it's just, it, it's not just, you know, someone from Boston going into their private tutor lesson and no, no. singing, the, the culture is so much more than just a transactional yeah. um, series of lessons. Yeah, and so like you go into these Hindustani classical rehearsals or practices or or training, and it's not just it's not just about the music. It's like this whole experience that you have to that you have to do. So I I feel like especially with the switch, if people are wanting to switch, mm-hmm. that's that's when I've had to work the hardest because when I hear them sing something like in Bangla or something classical, it's absolutely beautiful. But when they switch to singing like a pop piece, that's when a lot of the work had, had to happen. But I think you're absolutely right. Like there's, I feel like, and I, and I don't know, I wouldn't even say it's like an Eastern Western thing. I feel like even in the, in the West, like here in the U S growing up in different cities, like mm-hmm. some people are prone to listening to like country Western music. Mm. We're like, and they're, intonation their quality of their voice is so different from like exactly. what i what i would normally do yes um and so i feel like that's that's all all over but specifically like in india like that switch i notice a lot from like classical music um hindustani classical music uh robinder shungi like all of that switch to a pop piece um mm. i had to spend a lot of time at the piano with those singers um, and allowing those, allowing those times to just kind of, um, you know, you can't just sing it like this. Like you, <laughs> it's you kind of um, have a little bit more freedom with yeah. it. Um, yeah, yeah. I did a little test in this classroom once where um, I did basically a very simple reharmonization with one note on top mm-hmm. and a chromatic movement. I'm getting really nerdy now. My apologies. Yeah. Uh, with a chromatic movement downward and with you know chords reharmonizing the same. So basically, the same note has a completely different harmonic context every, with every little change. Mm. And I remember uh, one of the singers saying, "It's like the same note sounds like it sounds like a different note." Yeah. Like exactly. That is exactly yeah. the point I'm trying to make. A note is not just to know harmonic context 
mm. to the note you're singing is something. So I guess the difference I've primarily found with, with the musicians, or the students I worked with is... Um, mm-hmm. When they sang a note, they'd only hear the note. They wouldn't hear the other possibilities that note could imply, right. depending right. on the harmonies beneath. Because yeah. you sing differently if you hear a note as a fifth or as a third yep. or as a ninth. You know, you mm-hmm. you do intonate differently because your brain is kind of visualizing a very different backdrop to that same note, right? I noticed I couldn't get them to think more expansively with that melodic concept. Yep. I, uh, yeah, and that's, it's, it's interesting because I had a bulk of my students, I just want to learn how to sing harmonies. Mm. I want to learn how to throw, throw my voice. <laughs> that was always the thing that, what do you mean throw your voice? Belt? <laughs> like, I want to learn to throw my voice. Throw my um, voice, that's interesting. How did yeah, you interpret that? that? I, well, I, I, had, I did a lot of, especially working with younger students or college students, I asked a lot of questions. Like, what do you mean throw mm. your voice? It was basically just belting singing louder Mm -hmm. and I will say one of actually this is like a side note one of the really interesting things is like so I work both with um, female singers male singers a lot of the female singers very very timid incredible voices but like they'd always sing with their mouth closed Ah. and so like that was a constant thing that I work with and even like the the male singers like it was a constant thing of of open your mouth when you sing (laughs) like I can't I can't hear you I, I can't hear the words and that's when I when I work with singers, I always I always like one of my first lessons with them is I, I always let them know like their their voice is an instrument and they have to really think of it like that. And it's the only instrument that can articulate. So meaning it's the only instrument that can use words. And if I can't understand yes. you, mm-hmm. there's not a point of singing. And so if your mouth is closed, so that was that was another thing that I actually had to work a lot on with a lot of singers was mm-hmm. like Open your mouth when you sing. I want to hear what your what message the song you're singing is about. I don't want to have to guess. So true. But it's it's interesting. I, I guess like teaching cross culturally, even though I taught mostly in English, mainly in English, and worked with Western music. There's it, it was also like a huge growing experience for me as a music educator and um, musician too. I love how you focused on the strength of a, vo- a human voice's articulation mm-hmm. it reminds me of um, something my professor said during uh, my studies and I was a double major I was all I could never really decide if I was a piano player who sang or a singer who played piano mm-hmm. I still haven't really figured it out yeah. to be honest. Um, <laughs> but he said you have, you know regardless of, uh, in, and he was a piano player himself actually mm-hmm. but you got to realize if you're on stage the minute you open your mouth nobody cares about what you're playing on the piano yeah yeah. That is the nature of the human voice. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's something about it. Everything just melts into the background the minute you open your mouth. Yeah. It's one of those uh, light bulb moments. I just, um, I have to look up the artist's name. I just, S-Y-M-L. He's S-Y-M-L. always written in um, used words, but he just put out an EP that was just instrumental, just music, just piano. Mm. Um, and what he wrote about it was actually like really 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 cool he has a song called sentimental um and it's just piano and he said it was the most difficult thing to write this because i wasn't using words and i was just using the piano almost like as like to write what i wanted to to share um but it's the most beautiful like piece i've heard lately of like it's just piano but it's just an incredible thing and i and i'm in 
actually, I know, I know what I am. I'm a singer who plays. <laughs> I do not. I play to to be able to write and to be able to teach. But if I have to play and sing, it's like a little bit of a struggle for me. But when I'm doing it, if I'm doing it more often, it's a lot easier. Mm-hmm. But I think it. I I think you're right. Like it, the human voice is an incredible instrument that. It, it, and like when I when I worked with singers, um, like I said, I always say like you have to start from here on out. Think like my voice is an instrument. Um, it's the only instrument that you can't tune. You can't change a string that's broken. You can't when you're done. You can't close it and put it away. You bring it wherever you go, and you use it for more than just music. Mm. So I always have to work on like even just like vocal health with artists and taking care of your voice. And I love that aspect of it, of, of it letting people know, especially singers. Yeah. I feel like everybody should learn another instrument besides, besides singing. Like it's just going to help you so much more as, as a professional musician, but you have to also think your voice is an instrument. It's the only instrument that can articulate. And it's just, it's probably one of the most fragile instruments that's there. You don't close it. You don't put it in a case. You just have it. Can't drop it off at the music store to get tuned up or change all the strings. So I think it's one of the instruments that you have to really be attentive on on healthcare. Not a ride you can pimp at your local music store. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely a one-way ticket you want to take very good mm-hmm. care of. We have a few audience uh, questions coming in. Yeah. Well, there's two which are very relevant to what we were just talking about. One, self-care tips for singers as a traveling musician. That's one. And do what's the difference between a trained and an untrained singer? We're talking about singers, right? Vocal health for singers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I feel like plenty, plenty of water, plenty of rest. Yeah. If you're traveling, you want to see like, you know, the different cities that you're going to. But if you are tired, you're not going to be at your best, like vocally. Yeah. See the sights after your performances, after your gigs or schedule your shows where you have two days of rest that between um, if you're if you're able to do that mm-hmm. I do think you know even just taking like your like certain vitamins helps a lot especially yeah. when you're not not just and I would say every day do you have preferences like apart from the regular C vitamin C would probably be like the top the top one even just being aware of your coffee intake guilty as charged yeah 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 I have, I have mine too <laughs> but like if you are a big coffee drinker, like double up on the water to hydrate those vocal cords. Make sure you're getting plenty of rest just because because your your vocal cords, your voice, the instrument is such a fragile instrument. You want to be even more attentive in the care of your voice. Making sure like your schedule is, if you can, you have those rest days in between or you're able to land somewhere and rest before the show. That's a tricky one. I add, I would like to add to that question, if I may, especially with, with the scheduling part. I've struggled with that, especially when I've been the only singer in the band mm. with instrumentalists who don't necessarily, um, who aren't the best equipped to understand the specific challenges of a singer that they're dealing with when traveling. Yeah. Do you have any tips on how to negotiate those terms with the uh, band members and venues? You ever... Is there a system you follow? I don't think there's a system, but I think if you're if you're talking specifically about a vocalist and the singer, the front person of the band, I think they have to be pretty clear in communication of like, I, this is what I need. Mm. Sometimes you just have to push through it and then make sure you have those rest days afterwards. If it's like a huge 
tour multiple cities, you know, work with the booking, whoever's doing your booking, if you're, if you're doing it or if someone else is doing it for you. Um, schedule those in-between days that you're able to rest and have those um, recoup days. Because it's a lot different like for a singer to get up, to be singing 10 shows in a day yeah. or 10 shows in a week or 10 shows in a row compared to like the, the guitarist who's getting up. So true. It's just different. Very true. Y- yeah, you're both tired, but the voice instrument is just, again, it's, it's the most fragile instrument and um, you have to be attentive. So I would be upfront. Yeah, being upfront, I can't stress on that enough, especially because I've noticed I've also played tours where I'm just an instrumentalist, no vocals at all. And ironically, sometimes if you're really tired or a little sleep, sleep deprived, it can add a very specific kind of dimension to your playing yep. where, uh, where it, it really not, not only does it not affect you the way it would if you were a singer, it also almost helps you, you know. Uh, yeah. So sometimes instrumentalists are so caught up in their heads mm-hmm. um, that uh, a little sleep deprivation um, can be a weird um, space to be in that helps their playing, but it's really not the same as a singer. Yeah. I think it's right. very important to have those conversations. Okay, how do you distinguish between trained and untrained singers? I hope I didn't interrupt you there, by the way. No, no, no. So I, uh, usually when I'm working with students, I can, can tell the difference right away and some people are just naturally gifted does that compensate for training though in your opinion no no um i think it's a difference when you have a trained singer when you have a naturally gifted singer who is trained Mm. yeah i'm with you there and so and that's i think that's the as musicians like that's what you want you want to strive for greatness whatever that looks like for you very well said a trained singer is a lot easier to work with than an untrained singer, than a oh, natural. Tell me more. Singer. Tell me more. So I, I feel like it, when you when you're a singer, like obviously you're going to be working with bands, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you have the knowledge of certain terms or certain like things that you want the drummer to sound or, or play or things that you want the the piano player to play, when you have the knowledge, um, it's a lot easier to, to communicate than a naturally gifted singer trying to figure out like what they want um, the song to sound. And so if you do, um, if you spend time training, it's a lot easier gifted singer, naturally gifted singer. And all you're going to be doing is going into a studio and singing jingles. Good on you. Like that's going to be great for you. But if you're wanting to work with other musicians, and I think that musicians, you don't want to be that loner. Like you want to work collaborate with other musicians to be able to have conversations um, that other musicians can understand, I think is, is great. But even just the quality of, of a voice when it's trained, learning how to sustain your voice, simple things like your breathing, be able to like support your voice, Mm. learning the different registers of your voice. And I think that's the thing. Gifted singers have a great voice, but when you're training, you actually get to know your voice and know know it well, know what you can do, know the areas you need to work on. There is a difference. Some people have great careers and they've never trained. Debatable, it, um, not, not to contradict what you're saying, but in my experience, the ones who started off had a big break in their career being untrained. Yep. Eventually they had to train. Even Madonna trained. Like she, she did serious training before her, I think it was Evita, the movie, right? Yeah. She like, I remember she talks about how she really had her butt kicked by her vocal teacher. It was the first time she really had to get into regimental training. Yep. Eventually we all kind of have to train yeah so like you um you eventually you all have to because i mean even last year i would work 
uh, I worked with a musician who his career was incredible, mm -hmm. incredible career, but never had any training. But he got to the point that he wanted training and he needed training. How'd that go? It was good. Yeah. Uh, it didn't last very long, but it was, it was, it was good. Um, you know, and I ended up giving a bunch of like books mm -hmm. to look through and to, you know, study, study up. But this person was very busy in the music industry and, and um, did well for himself. Whether whatever you want to look at as a career as being great, uh, but I I do think a lot of people eventually, like you said, eventually they come to the point of like I can only go so far. I need training. Love it. The musician as an entrepreneur, I found this quite interesting, especially in your case, since uh, mm -hmm. you founded Chai Towns Creatives. Uh, this has been talked about a lot. Um, and entrepreneur is a bit of a buzzword right now anyways. Yeah. Which I f personally kind of find ironic that musicians are finally getting privy to because musicians are like the oldest entrepreneurs. Yeah. They're the oldest digital nomads. We've been digital nomads, entrepreneurs, way before you, it was even a thing, actually. Right. And all right. of a sudden we're learning it the roundabout way. But what are your thoughts on this, the musician as an entrepreneur? Do we have to be entrepreneurs as musicians? Uh, is it a default status or is it something... Uh, uh, we can afford to not pay attention to. Um, I don't know. I think I think it's a mix of things. I think if you if you're able to find something that you're, and that's the thing. Like if you're able to find something that you can be good and great at, do it. If that is going to help elevate your career, like do it. If it's something that's going to cause you stress and anxiety, like don't. Like that's the, like that's the whole thing. Like being a professional music, musician can be stressful already, and if you're going to add that pressure of starting something else, not a great place to be um, mentally. But if you do have great ideas, and I think if you have great ideas, talk them through with other people before you actually like jump into it. Talk with like professional people who are starting um, companies or starting different things, and and really talk that through before you just jump into it. Gotcha. Do you, do you think though that the artist um, benefits by thinking of their career as a business? I think you have to. I think like, yeah, I think you, I think we get tripped up, especially those who are like a little bit more, um, I don't know, like I've, I've worked with artists that were like, oh, I don't want to promote myself I don't want to seem like I'm just like mm. I'm like you 100% have to like if you want people to hear what you have to say what you're writing you 100% have to promote what you're creating um, and if you believe in it like who cares what other people say like and if it's stressful for you to post on Instagram to do this find some college student that you can pay a little bit of money to sign into all your social media stuff and post for you. Like that's, I think that's, um, a valuable tool. Like if, if all these apps and there's so many apps, like <laughs> you tell a musician that they have to be on now where it's like, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but if you're one of those people, that, like I have to be on those, but it's super stressful. Find someone like you can, you know, college student or high school student who's great at social media and, you can work with them and pay them a little bit just to post for you or post content for you. Outsourcing, yeah. I think 100% you have to think of your career as a business, you as a musician. Um, and I don't, I don't think it has to, I don't think it should override like your creativity or it should over, 
it should take over like that art, like the for the love of music. Oh, but I, thank you for saying that. That's yeah, the part we miss out on, yeah. I do I do think though, like there is value in in looking at your art as a business. Beautiful. Love it, man. Okay. Um, oh, this one's nice. I'm going to take this one. It says, what's it like living in India as a Westerner? Any myths in particular you'd like to bust? Um, yeah. <laughs> Where do we start? <laughs> yeah. um, I think having lived in India for so long. Um, Ten years, mate. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's uh, legit. Ten years in Kolkata and about a year, year and a half in Mumbai. Okay. So I feel like one of the myths is um, India is not just, you know, when you, when people here in the West or in the U.S. think of India, they think of like children's book that they're reading or like, you know, uh, they're thinking of movies that they've, mm-hmm. limited movies that they've seen where it's like elephants are walking around everywhere and peacocks are roaming everywhere. Yeah, that's, some, that's true in some cities and some towns. It's not true. <laughs> In, the, in a lot of like the major cities, like yeah, it can get very adult very soon before you know. What yeah, to. yeah, and I mean, I think one of the things that I miss so much when I'm living full time in India is like the convenience of like I can go out of my flat and jump in an auto, and it will take me wherever I want to go to. That's yeah. not true in Calcutta. Calcutta, you have to take yeah. multiple autos to get yep one to get to your destination in Mumbai. You could just jump in the auto and it would take you wherever you wanted to go. Yeah, um, I'm missing Mumbai now. I do think um, one of the myths is like it, like the major cities, they're, they're metropolitan cities. Like, yeah, you're going to see like some, you know, things that you're not used to um, that you would hear, see cities here in the U.S. Um, but the other thing too is there, uh, the other myth um, cause I've had friends come to the U S that like when they've come, people are like, wow, like how did you, how did you learn English so good? There are more English speaking people in India than there are in the U S. And so that's the other. Thank you for mentioning that. People grow up, yeah. grow up speaking <laughs> English and, and they yeah. know four or five other ang- languages too. And um, they understand most accents. Pretty, it's probably the only country where I've noticed they pretty much understand all accents. No one, yeah. uh, you know, uh, no accent will throw them off. They get Australian, yeah. American, British. Yeah. They'll, unless it's some very specific thing, they'll pretty much and get it, Even like most, like most taxi drivers in major cities, if you're visiting India for the first time, I, 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 I had friends that would find it easier getting around in India than they did Thailand in like a taxi. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. In India, like it, it, it's fairly simple to get around if if you've traveled. Fairly simple to get around. It's funny because I like I'm back and forth to India a lot, and actually I have most of my doctor's appointments and dentist appointments all in India. Oh, me too. Um, but my parents are doctors, so yeah. Okay, yeah. so like that's um, I get most of my health stuff done. That is a great myth to talk about medical. Care. Yeah, I like my oldest son was born in Calcutta. Um, and we had like the top doctor deliver him, which is so crazy because like we still are in contact with her. Like we, whenever we're in Calcutta, we have dinner with her, Beautiful. her family. And like it, that would never happen in the U.S. Like, yeah, I can't imagine. Never with the doctor, like baby's born and you don't see them ever again. There, like you, you build 
um, I don't know, I feel like community and relationships are a little bit more, they're taken care of more than they are mm. in the West. Interesting, yeah. Oh, well, I can confirm. I mean, I think my parents' patients have had so much more of my parents than I have. I mean, I'm almost yeah. a little bitter <laughs> when I say that, but I can confirm my patients, uh, uh, my, not my patients, excuse me. Yeah. My parents' patients have <laughs> definitely spent at least triple the amount of time I have gotten to spend with my parents. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I can I can confirm mm-hmm. that. Let's see, I have a few uh, more juicy ones, I think. Do you feel major differences in work ethic that you encounter while working between the states and india oh i'm gonna i love this one um because i've lived in two different cities in india yes and no Mm. i think and we talked about this a little bit before but like the cultures in the cities in india are so different and it would be the same in the u.s you know i feel like a majority of the middle of the u.s is pretty laid back and pretty slow Mm -hmm. compared to like boston or new york or la Mm. But that's because the like when I lived in Mumbai, the work ethic was like <laughs> I had to get used to it. Where it was like really, really busy. And one because all the major industries are there. It is a larger city. Mm. So I would say like work ethic in Mumbai was on par with work ethic in some of the major cities in um, the U.S. Calcutta, no, I think it would be a lot different. Um, but I mean, we kind of talked about that where like just the culture of, of, I don't know if I say Bengalis or West Bengal or Calcutta, um, it's just a little bit more laid back than Delhi or Definitely. Mumbai. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I lived in Lisbon for a couple of years. Uh, well, actually almost three years. It was only my base before the pandemic hit. And uh, people would go on about, oh my God, the work, it's everything so laid back. I was like, hmm, why does this feel so familiar? And then like (laughs) three months into my session, I was like, oh, now I get it. This is just like Calcutta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, There is, I mean, there are similar cities in the US where it's like, okay, a little bit slower. um, But yeah, it's just, I mean, every city's different. And I think... Do you find, and this is me topping up that question, do you find... And I realize, again, I'm putting you on the spot. I threw you quite a few curveballs today, but do you find uh, approaches to conflict resolution different, though? Um, I don't I don't know. That's a tough one. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. Like, the, are you talking about, like, the resolution of, like, well, I, guess I don't know. Like, general approaches to conflict. Okay, let me just share where yeah. I'm coming from, yeah. Like, I noticed, yeah. uh, and, you know, needless to say, I have a very... Um, a specific background myself. I've spent my entire yeah. uh, adult life in uh, Central Europe and Germany mostly, okay. wherein um, people kind of almost enjoy conflict. Hey, yeah. Here's a point of conflict. Let's nail this and talk about it. And like, all right, yeah. what's going on here? And here's the thing. And let's like really dissect the entire thing, have a conversation about it. Yeah. So one of the biggest things I struggled with in India is any remote indication of kind of conflict and all of a sudden Nobody the room's talks. empty. Yeah. No, no yeah. one's around. I think I think that's very, I think that's very true. Um, I think people. And just to be clear, I'm not judging it. It's just an observation, yeah, which I'm still. I, yeah, of... I think. I mean, I've ex- I've experienced both, um, and I and I think it's it's. I I do think it's like if if someone has if they're from India and they've traveled a little bit more, like they are more comfortable with conflict resolution. Um, if they haven't, um, and I think it's just the culture in India and like even just with like the um you know like the shame 
space culture, which I think is changing mm. some. Nobody wants to be wrong. Um, yeah. And so, like, even, like, nobody wants to offend mm-hmm. anybody. So, like, if I'm inviting you to my birthday sometimes in India and you can't make it, like, you'll just say, I have some work. Yeah. And it's, like, it's an easy way out than saying, no, I don't want to go or, like, I can't go. Yeah. You, and so there are things in India where, like, there's words that, and I've, and I, I've used, I use it here now. Like, if I don't want to go somewhere, it's like, oh, I have some work. <laughs> but it's like, I'm not telling you what that work is. Um, they got you, man. And, they got you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like, um, yeah, I do. I do see that. I do see that. What's your take on that as a music educator, though? Jokes apart. Um, I think if I spend enough time with a student, like we could talk pretty straight face, um, you know, just in India, tell it to my face, tell it on my face. A lot of my work in India with musicians, it, it has been, it's been multiple different um, people from multiple different countries. So it's mm-hmm. been really interesting whether it's been like someone from the UK who's, you know, um, someone from uh, Germany or someone, you know, a lot of people from India. And so it, it has been less like everybody's getting used to how you were raised and how you kind of, um, mm-hmm. so it is, it is interesting to kind of see that play out a little bit. Taking someone's cultural background into consideration in, in yep. the education um yeah circle that is interesting i also would circle back to something you really mentioned earlier on during this conversation about the lack of safe spaces for people and mm-hmm. for artists yeah. especially where you know they don't have to worry about voicing their opinion um, right you know without any backlash and i did notice and i hate saying this uh, but the fact of the matter is my experience these past three years, which were the first where I actually spent extended periods of time in India as an adult, is mm-hmm. unfortunately, and I, again, I'm, I hate saying this, safety can be a privilege sometimes. Yes, yes. Especially for it, artists. It can, and I, and I learned that pretty quickly of like, I think in the West, there's a lot of safe places um, for creatives and musicians and artists. Um, the general fundament is something you can always rely on, to a certain degree at least. It is a privilege. Uh, and I do, like, you do have a lot of support. I think, like, places like India, some of the cities, like, have those, and it's very welcoming of the arts and creatives, but I think there's a lot of people that come from families or backgrounds that are not um, safe places for creatives. You have to find those places. What do you think we can do to contribute to a safer space? And I know that sounds kind of almost corny at this point it's another buzzword actually safe space yeah but, um, yeah i mean music like, educators what do we do yeah i mean i think i i think a lot of at least what what i would do um is like when a and especially for musicians and singers like when someone walks into a lesson i can tell right away something's off if mm. something is off and yeah. so i think being able to like before you just jump into a lesson, like if you're, if you're a, a teacher professor, like take time to get to know your students, even if it's a little bit about their background. So you have an idea of where they're coming from. When they choose a song, ask them why, like, why did you choose this song? Sometimes it may just Mm -hmm. because they liked it sometimes because the, it is expressing something they're feeling. So I think in the appropriate way, like finding out about your students and where they come from and, what's their background and if they have a support system and if they don't, being able to find opportunities for those younger musicians to find those safe places, whether it's like open mic nights or creative nights at a venue that there's going to be other artists that they can meet. Or there's like, uh, at least with the Chi Town 
which it's now Chai Town, um, Chai Town Community mm-hmm. in Calcutta. So it's still running, like Chai Town Community. They have awesome. um, artist collective nights where it's like any creative can go and one person's going to present or do something or share their art. As a music educator, being able to find places like that for your students um, that they can go to that would be encouraging for them. Excellent. Thanks for that, man. That was very helpful. We are on our last two minutes. Also, folks on Instagram, if you have questions, no questions in here. Let me see. Check with our old friend Facebook here. You want to take this one? What are the major differences you find in musical approaches between India and the US? Oh, I mean, this is a whole different podcast episode, but in case you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I, I mean, I can keep it pretty brief. Like I, having having lived in, in India and worked exactly. with artists that mm-hmm. um, have studied Hindustani classical, Rabindra Shongid, it's it, a lot of studying music at a young age in India. It's, it's not just a music lesson. That's a whole lifestyle. Mm. It's a whole, like, walk into that lesson... And it's not do re mi fa so la ti do. It's sare gama. It's like a whole thing. It's not just like I'm walking into this lesson. I'm going to sing my song. I'm going to get corrected on my breathing. A lot of it's like a spiritual experience. Like mm-hmm. your your lessons. Like it, assuming like it'd be uncomfortable at some points. But I, it's the approach to studying music. And this would just be the differences between Western music and, and Indian classical or Hindustani classical music. It's a lifestyle. And like the singers that I know that are Calcutta or from Mumbai who are those like top-notch classical singers, like it's a whole lifestyle of, you know, getting up and doing your routines and doing your ragas and doing your... It's And it's not just I'm going to walk into band practice. Um, I guess it is like it's a lifestyle here in the West too, or like when you're, when you're working as a musician, it's just different. More compartmentalized maybe? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. And I think like, you know, when you're classical singers in India, like it's like you're, you're practicing a lot yeah. and you're working with your guru like a lot. Yeah. And so it is a whole experience um, there. That's just one of, one of the many differences, mm. but that's a major one. Yeah. It's more than a vocation, isn't it? It's an entire yes. yep. lifelong commitment. In fact, <clears throat> a gentleman who once said, um, one lifetime's actually not enough, if you ask me. Yeah. Um, excellent. We've totally exploited your presence on this show by asking <laughs> no. you all these music education uh, questions. But you have awesome music out, which um, uh, I Thank should have addressed. <laughs> and um, you've been working on it between the US and India. Before we let you go, though, quick question. Tell us a little about yeah. the EP you're working on. Uh, and yeah. um, uh, needless to say, for all my audiences, all links to um, Zachary's music will be included on the episode notes. So please watch out for that when this episode's yeah. out. But uh, please tell us a little in your own words. I'm so sorry, Ash. Yeah. I'm, I'm a horrible no, podcast no, no, guy. I should have asked you something. Like, t- tell us about the EP you're working on, please. Yeah, I've really enjoyed this. Man. I've enjoyed this conversation um, so Likewise, much. Likewise, man. Yeah, I I have. Um, it, it's it's kind of funny because I'm right now I'm currently based in in Boston, but most of my collaborations and artists I work with are in India. Um, mm-hmm. And so I uh, just released a song with Shreya Bhattacharya, and she's actually from Calcutta. Um, mm-hmm. We met each other eight years ago. Yeah, we ended awesome. up working. Yeah, we ended up working together at 
the university in Mumbai, and we both taught in the vocal department there. Um, I would sing backup for her uh, band. There's an incredible bass player, Abhishek Day, who's um, just incredible. And so um, Shrey and I, I mean, Shrey, stylistically, she's, she can do anything. She's a jazz singer, um, R&B singer. But we uh, occasionally we do love a good pop, electronic, indie type of song. And so we've that's the majority of the genre that we've written. Mm-hmm. Um, and so next year, uh, um, actually this December, I'll go um, to Mumbai and we'll record um, three or four songs and we'll release that EP next year. But we've released two songs together before. Um, uh, right now in my career, like I just, I love working with other artists and I, and I, mm. um, kind of just continue to do that and every once in a while I'll put my own song out and um but I just love the experience of like from start to finish songwriting going in the studio with someone um collaborating with them and um but that's the yeah the EP next year uh will be with Shreya beautiful and so it's yeah yeah. Shout out to Shreya I'm trying to scammer in to sing on the song of mine as well by the way FYI night yeah um, um, uh, I'm back in India as well, around about the same time, so we should definitely keep in touch. Um, yes. Would love to meet you 3D as well. I want to respect your time, Zachary. Thank you. We, we've, we've been at it for 90 minutes now, and time just flew, which is such a good sign for these conversations. Yes. Um, anything else you'd like to share before we taper off? I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. And, Thank um, you, man. Good to, good to see you again. I think we saw each other yeah, likewise. eight years ago or so. I forget when that was, but love what you do and, and love what you're creating with this podcast. So thank you so much for the opportunity. No, honor is all mine. Thank you so much for taking 90 minutes of very detailed time and answering my um, very inquisitive and very unfair questions. I love people. I, I couldn't resist. It's it's such a uh, such a unique uh, profile you embody. Uh, I, I had to pick your uh, brain. All right, folks. Looks like we're done here. I'm gonna say bye bye to Instagram. Still recording here. Gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end. Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labor of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. And having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love and talk soon. Just another voice out in.